Hi all. Just a warning that some of the content in today's podcast may be confronting or distressing for some listeners. If you or anyone you know needs help, call Lifeline on 13 11 14 or visit lifeline.org.au. Well, I owe, I owe most of it to my mum. I, lo- I love her to death. She is probably the most important person in my life. Um, during the darkest parts of the abyss, I'll be honest, I had at least two suicide attempts. It, it was bad. I just, it was, and I felt after, you know, recovering from those attempts, I'd always hate myself even more because I'm just like, Thomas, look what you're doing to your mother. She is stressing out. You know, she's, she's doing so much for you. And you just almost gave all of that up. Um, but I, I tried not to think of it that way. That was the voice of Thomas Sonari, sound editor and voice creator on YouTube, artist, acting enthusiast, OTFC client, and a young person on the autism spectrum. Thomas's story journeys from significant challenges to incredible achievements, including his own YouTube channel with over 50,000 subscribers. And today, we are very excited to introduce Thomas to you all. Welcome to the Integration Station. The Integration Station strives to support and empower parents, caregivers and therapists involved with the neurodivergent community and connect listeners from around the globe to explore and celebrate the role of air sensory integration and occupational therapy. Today we speak to Thomas about his experiences of school, therapy and life growing up as a young person on the autism spectrum. The story starts with a discussion about Thomas's week, his usual routine and how this helps keep him busy and also the inception of his YouTube channel. So what does your week look like in terms of um, some of your other activities? Uh, it's very, very busy. Uh, Monday, I'll have my 11, uh, 10 o'clock session with Nate. Nathan, he's one of the OTs here. Mm-hmm. Um, and then at 11, I'll get picked up and then I'll get dropped off at my other program, which is from a company called Navita. It's called the Transition to Work Program. Uh, I, I do an art sort of program there, so that's very that's very nice. Uh, and then at about two thirty, that finishes up, uh, and I get I go home, and then I'm sort of just relaxing, you know, rest of the night. That's pretty good. Uh, Tuesday, uh, transition to work again, uh, but I'm not. It's not an art program. It's just more, I guess, learning about things like resumes and cover letters, that type of stuff, and then. Uh, 2.30 again, come home, uh, relax again, uh, you know, relatively quiet day. Wednesday, I see my mentor uh, from about 10 o'clock to maybe 5 o'clock, so that goes for a while. We usually just chill out, do a bit of VR, because he has a VR headset, it's really fun. Um, and then Thursday, well, Thursday I've already said, you know, music, and then see the social groups. And then Friday, Friday, I see my mentor again at about 12 o'clock. Uh, to about four again. Uh, it, since it's a shorter time, we usually go for like a hike. I enjoy going for hikes or nature walks, things like that. And then Saturday from about 12 to two, I have actors class uh, in the city at a group with a group called Actors Inc. It's really fun. Um, and then Sunday's the only day that I do nothing. I usually just go to my grandma's house. 
So you finally get a rest. Yep. <laughs> yeah. That's a fairly busy week. So one thing I do also know, and for the listeners out there, they may or may not know, but Thomas also has a YouTube channel. Um, can you describe a bit about that? Because I'm looking at all the things that you're doing in your week and I'm trying to, I'm trying to find time for you to do some of this YouTube stuff. Well, I started my YouTube channel in 2015, so I was about 11. Yeah, I was 11 when I started it. It was back in July. And for a while, I was just sort of, I just watched a lot of YouTubers, and I was like, I want to make my own channel. I want to do all this. I want to do make some content. And as a kid, I always grew up watching, like, dinosaur stop motions. That was the thing that I loved to watch, because I, I love dinosaurs even now. I wish they helped me get a job, but, you know, you know, I do what I can. Um, so I, I started, I, I did this little stop motion program thing. I don't know if it's a thing anymore, but, it, you know, it was a pretty cool thi- uh, little program, and that got me interested in stop motion. So I... You know, I got an iPad, I got some dinosaur toys, and I started making stop motions. Then over time, I got bored of it, and I was just thinking, I don't really like doing stop motion that much anymore. And at this time, I only had like 10 subscribers, I think I remember. I didn't I hadn't have any. Um, and then I made these weird videos. Uh, some people might know what they're called. They're called YouTube poops. Uh, basically, you get this video of anything, and you just edit it so everything's really funny and a little bit crude. Um and I guess the editing style really caught on with me, and I've decided maybe not those anymore because they're a little bit weird and I'm getting a bit older. I'm not finding them funny. Uh, I'll try a bit of sound design, you know, editing some stuff. So I recorded myself um, just making weird noises, and I would put effects on them. I'd slow them down, and I thought, hey, that doesn't sound bad. I'll upload it to YouTube. They started to get a bit more views. I thought, okay, maybe not just me. I'll just get like other animals, I'll get animals, I'll get dinosaur sound effects, like from the Jurassic series or whatever, um, and I'll edit those, they started to get a bit more views, and then I started doing mythical creatures like dragons and uh, mermaids and st- stuff like that, and then all of a sudden my channel just blew up, like one day it had 100 views, I was like, okay, that's, that's pretty good, then it had 1,000 views, and then 100,000 views, and then a million, I'm like, what the hell is happening? Uh, and then my channel, like subscriber-wise, it blew up, it kept going, you know, uh, 1,000 uh, 2,000, 5,000, 10,000, and then now I'm up to 52,000. That's a lot of people, and I'm, I'm so surprised as well because I guess I am the harshest person to myself, so I always think, oh, Thomas, your content's not that good, but a lot of people tell me, hey, you know, it is. You know, I like listening to it. I like doing this but, you know, with it. I like, you know, just watching it. You know, I just like seeing you upload, which is, you know, it's a nice thing. Nowadays, I've started Grow Water, the sound design, plus... More being doing more advanced sound design, it's very, very hard. Mm. So, I started getting into more voice acting thing. Uh, I guess because of actors' class, uh, I'm learning to control my voice more, uh, to put more emotion into things. So, I thought, you know, do a bit of voice acting. I do want to do a bit of gaming, but I don't have the stuff for that. I don't have a microphone, I don't have uh, editing software, so I want to get those. But I guess over time, it the channels just helped me express my creativity, and it's helped me sort of connect with more people. Because back, you know, I'd always be more than more than happy to just talk to my subscribers, just tell them how I'm going, tell them, oh hey, I won't be able to upload this week because of such and such happening. Uh, I'm, I just in, enjoy, it. and a lot of people on the on the platform, they're very very kind, they're very understanding. No one's like, oh, tell me you haven't uploaded, that that sucks. Why 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 aren't you uploading? They're like, oh, that's. Per- per- perfectly understandable, Thomas. Take as much time as you need, and we'll be right here waiting for you. So, 
over it's helped me it's helped me become much more social so you mentioned that you'd started that when you were about 11 years old or 2015 was when the channel started yeah what was your life like socially then you were obviously still in primary school what was your life like socially at that point and and how did the online world help you connect with others um Back in primary school, I was a much more social person. Uh, I was able to make friends very, very easily. I guess because at that time I hadn't matured completely, so I was able to just make you know stupid jokes and <laughs> muck around with all the boys and all that. You don't do that now with the social skills group as well? I mean, I do that now. <laughs> I do that now, but I, I guess it was much easier back yeah. then. Um, and I was a bit of a troublemaker in my later years of primary school. That's when I did... I'd say that the worst... I haven't even done very bad things. Like The worst thing I did in primary school would probably just be print a bunch of word vomit. Mm-hmm. And so it wasn't nothing bad. I haven't heard. I so never, nothing incriminating. So no, you're I've not going to say anything I've, on no, this podcast. No, and, no, and I, I won't yeah. tell them. No, I'm just <laughs> uh, no. High school was a very challenging time for Thomas and mainstream school was short lived. Thomas reflects on high school, socialization, and his diagnosis. So you talked a little bit about your social um, skills in primary school. How did that change when you hit high school? It it changed quite drastically, and not in a good way, to be honest. I guess I was just so used to primary school. You you know you do all your subjects in one class. Maybe you'd change for like art or. Uh, language class for mine for me uh, I was in Kimmen Park and we did Japanese um, yeah and you'd maybe go to the library those were like the only place times you would leave the classroom to do something else there wasn't a break and then high school hit and I guess my brain just wasn't ready every class you'd move somewhere else uh, there was those kids that were much older than me everyone was a bit more immature in a different way I, I, I and I guess my brain was just what what's happening and I I had this just massive peak of anxiety. My brain just didn't know what to, the hell to do. Um, everyone else was just confused about it. like they're like, "What, Thomas? What's happened? You know, you you were like this in primary school, and then now all of a sudden you're much quieter and all that." And I guess I sort of slowly drifted away from my friends because they were interested in other stuff, and they like playing basketball. And I wasn't a sporty kid, and I'm still not that, that sporty now. And so I used to just walk around. Uh, the school grounds during breaks. I was very quiet. Uh, a lot of kids thought I was like some emo or something like that. But yeah, I just had this massive spike in anxiety and depression. I was just, I felt so alone. It was, it was terrible. And I just, I just couldn't talk to anyone anymore. I tried a few times, but it never really worked out. So then my brain was just gave up and it was, it was, uh, it was just so much different now. When were you informed of, of your, uh, ASD diagnosis? I believe it was either in 2017 or 2018. Um, I think it might have been late 2017 after I, I'd say, finished year eight and then I decided not to go back because I just, I just couldn't. Um, and my mum was just very concerned. You know, I love her to death and I just felt bad that she was just so worried about me. Mm. Um, and I don't remember the building that we went to. But I did like a test and then a, a few days later they sent the results and like, oh yeah, your son has uh, autism. Do you remember much about that time or what you felt or conversations at that point? Do you remember much about that? Um, I don't remember too much. I just remember all the time I would just try and distance myself from everyone. 
uh, during like work times in high school, I'd usually sit either under the table or I'd sit at the, the back corners and I just would look down at my work. I wouldn't try and look at anybody and I just try not to think of anybody. Uh, in high school, they had this place called, oh, I believe it was Room 28. I think that's what it's called, Room 28. This was in Finden High School. Um, and you'd have this like green card. Only some kids could get it. Uh, if you were overwhelmed or you just needed a timeout, you'd show the teacher this card and then you'd be able to just go there and just finish your work there. But I never really did my work there. I just sort of went up and sat down. I had some downloaded YouTube videos just to calm myself down. And I'd also like sort of block myself from being seen by anyone else. So I'd get like chairs and things like that. And I just sort of build this little, not really a fort, but just sort of, this barrier just from so no one else could see me because I just didn't like being stared at. I just mm. it was such a weird time. So from that point, when did you when did you realize that some something was challenging that that you felt that how you were at school was was not how others were experiencing school? I would say the first few weeks mm. it was it was quite a I sort of noticed it quite easily. I was like, everyone else is, you know, they're you know, they're mucking around, they're having these cool jokes, and then there's me, and I'm, I'm like, I'm not getting these jokes. I'm sort of not finding what they're saying funny. Uh, what I what I like, they're no they're no no longer interested in. I guess because I never, I'm I'm like I would say that I'm much more mature than someone my age, but in the same way, I haven't grown up entirely. Like I still like things that I did as a kid, which is you know, there's nothing wrong with that, but it's just a lot of people have changed so differently, and like if I were to talk to them about, it, they're like. They'd be like, Thomas, why do you still like this stuff? You know, we liked that back when we were in like primary school. You know, mm. it's been so long. I guess my interests haven't really changed too much. So you talked a little bit about um, some of the challenges at school and how how you felt differently. You noticed it early on. Did you manage to make some friends at school? Did you have some friends there? Uh, yeah, some of my friends from primary school, uh, they came with me to that high school. So I was able to talk to them if I was ever feeling down. And there was a few new new friends. Most of them, I didn't get along with too well. Like I was able to make jokes with them; they'd laugh. Um, but I always felt like I couldn't connect with them as much as I could with other people back in primary school. And I guess again, because they'd always be playing basketball, or they'd be like talking about girls and stuff like that. And at the time, I wasn't too interested in girls. I was just, I just, you know, I wanted to be, I wanted to fit in. I wanted, I wanted mates. I wanted stuff like that. And I sort of just, yeah, grew up, grew distant from them. Like, I hope they're all doing good now, but, you know, I try to put the past behind me, you know, I'm, I, I am who I am now. And, you know, that's, that's good enough for me. Hmm. Thomas has been a client of OTFC since early 2020. In that time, he is engaged in individual and group therapy, as well as Camp Evolve in 2021. Thomas discusses that, despite a lack of therapy for a number of years, family and mentor support has been important in guiding him out of the abyss. Um, you obviously have been involved in, in different therapies, is, mm -hmm. that, is that correct? Yeah. Um, OT, as I mentioned, came on, um, I think when you saw me in 2020, I think... When we yeah. first met then. Um, what about some other other therapies that have been part of your life and, and I guess the the impact they've had? Um, well, beside OTFC, 
for a while, there was no other uh, therapy, but I had a few mentors uh, from a company called Autism SA. And the first one, I couldn't see him too often because he had children and he was he was always cancelling, which I get because, you know, when you have kids, they, they're, they're very stressful. I'm sure you would know that. <laughs> uh, and then the second one, uh, again, I won't say his name for privacy reasons, but he was just like, he was a breath of fresh air. You know, my family loved him. Mm. Uh, I didn't appreciate him until recently. Uh, cause again, back in that time I was just depressed. I didn't, I didn't like anything. I was just always, you know, Oh, I want to die. I want to do all of this, you know, lots of sad, you know, teenager stuff. A lot of teenagers are in that sort of, they're in that, in that abyss, I would say, Mm. uh, for, for most of their young years. Um, but you know he'd always he'd, he'd always take me out of my comfort zone, which was a good thing. I don't even though I get nervous about it, or I wouldn't want to do it. Reflecting back on, it, I'm like I'm very glad that he did that. He you know he'd take me places like say to a bowling place. And, you know I wasn't I didn't like bowling, but over time I started to. I'm I'm not that good at it, but I just enjoyed doing it. Um, you know he he taught me lots of things about just adult life. He showed me I guess how to get my license. And although I failed at that time. I tried again this year and I got them. So, hmm. yeah, if I probably would have been too nervous to try this year if, if I hadn't tried before and then grew as a person, and then I tried again this year, um, and then I, I saw a few more mentors from Autism SA after that. But over time, a lot of stuff has happened with Autism SA, so I don't really see any mentors from them anymore. Uh, and then I did more stuff with Novita. They had a life skills class from Wednesdays to Fridays from about 9.30 to 3. And that was about 11 months. It took, yeah, all the classes were 11 months. Um, oh, yeah. And then there was uh, some sort of excursion groups uh, with a company called AHH Life Skills. They had mentor programs. Uh, one of the mentor that I see Wednesday and Fridays, he's from AHH, and he's a very lovely person. He's also on the spectrum, um, you know. And I, me and him, we, we've got a good friendship going because I guess because we relate on such a such a good level. I guess if that makes sense. Um, and then I guess I think that's about it to be honest. And beside the stuff that I do now, the transition to work group. Other than that, I you know I saw OTFC and. At first, I was very quiet. Uh, I didn't. I was like, oh, I was unsure if I wanted to continue. I was like, oh, but you know, I, I I always get tired. I don't like doing the sport. But then, you know, I started talking. I started talking a bit more. It helped me with my confidence. Doing exercise in the morning is such a good thing to help just brighten your mood up for the day. And you know, over time, it gave me more confidence. Um, and nowadays, it's a big role in my life. And I love it so much. Sometimes I'm like, oh, I wish the session was longer. I wish I could do it for two hours or three hours. Just, oh, you know, it's a good thing. It's fantastic to hear. And it sounds like the last few years you've been involved in a lot of those those therapies and those supports and, and they have helped you become the, the person you are today. Yeah. A lot of it is yourself, but a lot of it has also been um, supported by those, those yeah. around you. Um, you mentioned uh, before about the abyss. I like that word, the abyss. Mm. Um, and for someone who creates sounds of mythical creatures, it just is a very Thomas word, the abyss. Yeah. Can you tell me a little bit about how you went from that to where you are today? What 
what strategies, what things did you have in place? What supports did you have? I know you talked a bit about some of those therapies, but obviously your mum has been very, very heavily involved in supporting you along that journey as well. Um, can you tell me a little bit about how you went from the abyss to where we are today? Well, I owe, I owe most of it to my mum. I, lo- I love her to death. She is probably the most important person in my life. Um, during the darkest parts of the abyss, I'll be honest, I had at least two suicide attempts. It it was bad. I just, it was, and I felt after, you know, recovering from those attempts, I'd always hate myself even more because I'm just like, Thomas, look what you're doing to your mother. She, you're stressing out. You know, she's, she's doing so much for you and you just almost gave all of that up um but i i tried not to think of it that way as i started seeing more mentors they sort of you know took me out of my comfort zone i took me to places sort of started getting me back in the community and you know i started changing a little bit so instead of just being all quiet and sounding very monotone i'm a little monotone now but that's sort of just me um I'd try and improve my emotion because I'd, I'd see the way that they talk and they're very friendly with their voice. And I think, okay, if that works for other people, maybe I'll try it. And over time, it started working. I, you know, I was a very polite person, a little reserved, but, you know, meaning well. And I think that's what I like to think of myself as. Um, other methods, so when it wasn't with mentors or activities, if I was just at home, I'd do a bit of gaming. I still do that now. It's just something to pass the time because... If I was left alone, just with no gaming stuff, nothing to read, nothing to play with, I would have pretty bad thoughts. So I'd always do what you know, do a bit of gaming to sort of distract myself in a way. That or I'd watch you know, watch videos, watch something funny, because that always puts me in a good mood. You know, I watch a, f- a bit of stuff nowadays. Um, I, yeah, I continue with most of those strategies. You know, watching something funny, a bit of gaming. Um, I try to talk to people every now and then, but. I still feel like I'm not the most talkative person, but a, a lot of a lot of kids on the spectrum they don't really like talking to people. They sort of do it because you have to. But I would say for me, outside of you know being with mentors, doing activities, I'd say getting out is the best thing to do. But uh, for someone like me, it was watching something funny and uh, you know gaming, sort of distracting yourself from those bad thoughts. There are some really really big points in there um and thank you for for sharing first and foremost you mentioned a few strategies that work for you just generally advice for a young person on the spectrum what what are some things that you would say having gone from where you were in primary school to where you are now what are some things that you would say for those maybe that are experiencing the same level of difficulty or um feel like they can't get out of that abyss what are some Mm. things that you might pass on to those people take risks it might seem bad at first, and sometimes it might end up bad. I, I'll be completely honest. Sometimes you might take a risk, and sometimes it might not work. But who cares? You've got so many more years ahead of you. The, I, the amount of risks that you'll take, the, you've got a higher chance of it working out than it not working out. And if the w- risks end up being a good thing, that could benefit you in so many more ways than it could, dis, you know, could give you a disadvantage. When you talk about risks, what sort of risks are you, are you? I'm assuming you're talking about safe risks, not yeah, yeah. And I'm not saying do drugs, all of that. Yeah, thing. Right, I'm just yeah. like no, I'm just like go outside more, start doing a bit of exercise, try talking to people, even if it, even if it's just like saying hello to someone. Just and that's you know, just put a smile on your face, 
And over time, you'll just realize, you know, that's a good way of living. I should, you know, smile more, be friendly to people because that's it's just a good thing to do. Do you remember when you started to make that? Was it was it a progressive thing when you made that decision to try and take more risks or to to try and do those sort of things a little bit more? Um, I guess, yeah, it was a progressive thing. It took a while. At first, I was very negative about taking risks. I didn't want to do them. Even if they ended up benefiting me, I still didn't like them. But over time, I realized, you know, hey, taking these risks, it's helped me in so much, in so, in so many ways. And I've become a better person because of it. I should start taking more risks. And that's what I've been doing. And I've been saying yes to all these programs, and they've been helping me even more. So I think in a way, just taking the risk, you know, having a having a chance of, uh, you know, doing good, it's, it's, it's helped me you know, quite a lot. You have had some really strong connections through the social skills group, correct? Yeah. How, when you first started, how did you view the group compared to where it is now? And how important have those in-person connections and relationships been for your um, ability not only to make but maintain friendships? Um, when I first started social groups, I felt... Again, out of place. That's what I. That's how I usually feel sometimes when I start something new. You know, a lot of these guys they started talking. I was like, okay, they they seem to get along with each other quite well. Uh, maybe it might. Maybe they might not like me or something like that. Um, but over time, you know, I've got I've gotten to know them. And, uh, they're all great people. Uh, I I enjoy that I'm able. I enjoy the fact that I'm able to joke around with them, which is a great thing. I love making jokes with people. Um, and it's just sort of helped me in a way also get used to people my age and also get used to people on the spectrum because I've spoken to girls on the spectrum. It's quite different. Not Nothing wrong with them. It's just simply I didn't expect it. Um, so I was like, oh, are all, are all other autistic people like this? Are they all sort of don't like talking? And some of us don't. Like we don't all like socializing. We don't have all things to say. There's a lot of if you speak to an autistic person like like myself, you get you get ready for a bit of silence, as in like if you say a question, you answer it. It's like, oh, how was your day? Oh, it was good. There's just a bit of quiet. So unless you're asking questions on yeah, a podcast unless, like yeah, this, unless, where you're, unless you're doing something, <laughs> there's like a this. lot of talking going on. Um, but I guess it's got it's gotten me used to that type of silence, which can be good. It's not always awkward. And it's also helped me sort of understand other people on the spectrum because we're not all the same. We don't always act the same. We don't think the same things. Sometimes we can do things very similar, but everyone's different. Mm. And I guess over time, it's sort of, it's helped me. It's helped me understand. Uh, it's helped me build friendships, especially the group because we're all doing things together. So I'm able to make jokes and, you know, make the guys laugh. And that definitely, you know, strengthens the friendships that we have. So it's it's a very good thing. How would you define autism or, or living with autism? What 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 does that look like for you? Because as a health professional, I have definitions and I have things that are written down. But as someone, the lived experience is is probably the most valid, um, I guess, explanation or definition. What what does it mean for you? For me, autism just means thinking differently or thinking outside the box. Uh, sometimes. People are different, uh, you know, everyone's on a different area of the spectrum. Some people a bit more than others, like some people aren't able to speak. But, you know, we're all, we're all human. Um, 
you can sometimes tell if someone's on the spectrum. Sometimes just by the way they think. They might just all of a sudden be able to think of all these marvelous things. You're like, how the hell did he think of that? Um, my mum always thinks that the guy, or the caveman who invented the wheel was on the spectrum because of just thinking outside the box. So you think, <laughs> why would they want to make that all of a sudden? That's fantastic. So I sort of agree with that. I think just the definition of autism to me is thinking outside the box. Recent changes in South Australia saw the inaugural Assistant Minister for Autism with the aim to provide support for people with autism in the state. Included in this is the suggestion of an autism advisor within each school. I asked Thomas about this and what school would look like if he were in that position. Okay, forget the politics side of things. As someone on the spectrum, how how do you think or do uh, that's a question in itself do you think the person who is the minister or advocate for for ASD for the government should be someone with an autism spectrum disorder i think so honestly it, it sort of takes one to know one in a way um just things i would like to see uh is more support in schools like you know a few mentors especially in high schools because that's where that's where most uh kids on the spectrum drop out they drop out of high school um, why imagine, do you think? Why do you think that is? I think it's similar things to me. I think they don't fit in. I think every it's the, the the sudden change from primary school to high school is very drastic, and in a way, I, they just probably just feel like they don't belong. Um, and I imagine I, you know, I've sure I've suffered a little bit, but I, I feel like there's definitely people out there who have suffered way more than me, and I feel like they if they're still in high school, they deserve this help way more, um, and I hope they're getting it now, honestly. Mm. And so the other thing would be perhaps some subjects more suited to interest someone on the spectrum. Like there are probably some things in maths that like, who cares? <laughs> who who wants to learn about it? And then when you grow up, you don't ever use it. I get things like percentages and stuff like that. And sure, I I didn't finish high school. I, fi- I, I did online schooling after high school up to year 11. But I, um, so I, I can sort of talk like I can talk, but. You know, I never, I never did the advanced subjects, but I'm just thinking, you don't need all of them. I'm just feeling like have something that would interest not only people on the spectrum, but just people not on the spectrum. You know, sort of more a varied, uh, var- yeah, bigger variety of subjects. I think. What sort of subjects would you have if you were running a school curriculum? What would be on your list of subjects to have at a school? Um, for instance, like history, not only would I have human history, I'd have a bit of prehistory, not just dinosaurs, but like also Ice Age stuff, learning about life before there was, you know, biological mm. life on Earth. Like say, you know, when the you know the Big Bang happened and all that type of stuff. Um, I'd have more uh, subjects like biology and more learning more about like animals and the environment, especially because... Nowadays, everyone's always talking about how we need to help the environment. We need to do more uh, energy-efficient ways of living, things like that. So I think learning about the environment, learning about animals, learning about why they're important to us, and learning about why things go extinct, things like that, that would be very interesting, Mm. at least for someone like me to learn. Mm. You talked a bit about uh, your YouTube channel before, um, and you mentioned, I think it was about over 50,000 subscribers which is more than otfc's facebook page so 
you got one up on us there, Thomas. Well done. Thank you. <laughs> um, but what are some other hobbies that you have, some other things that you enjoy doing in your spare time? Well, besides gaming and stuff like that, I've enjoyed drawing. Uh, I loved arts since I was about a year old. And I always used to paint. Uh, I used to just paint anything, really. Um, but over time, I wasn't too interested in painting. I still do it now, every every now and then. But I love drawing. I have sketchbooks. I have one in my bag right now. Um, and sometimes in my free time, I'll just sketch. Uh, usually in my transition work program, during the breaks, I'll sketch. And I'll usually just draw, like, you know, animals, or I'll draw made-up creatures that I'll think of, or, like, monsters and stuff like that. Sometimes I'll draw superheroes. Like, I enjoy drawing, like, my own Spider-Man costumes and things like that. So, you know, drawing's a very big interest. Um, Sometimes it's... I haven't really done it too much, but a bit of filmmaking. I used to do a filmmaking class in the holidays. I did it twice. And just that type of thing was very, very interesting to me, but it's also very difficult for one person to do by themselves. So if I ever had the chance to make like a short film with someone, I would I would relish that opportunity. Um, and just, yeah, things that uh, just have me expressing my creativity, just, you know, showing all the things that I can do, it, it, that's stuff that interests me quite a bit, to be honest. Do you find that, because we're talking before, um, before the podcast, just about your your schedule and your week, and I think we even talked about it earlier. Do you find time to do that? Do you think that you um, that those hobbies and those interests are an important part of your well being and what helps you feel as though you're living your life to the to the fullest? Do you find enough time to get to do those things? Um, yeah, I usually try to find time. Usually in the breaks of my programs, um, I'll do a bit of sketching. It helps me calm down quite a quite a lot. Uh, sometimes I'll be thinking of things and I'll get a little stressed, but then I'll be like, you know, Thomas, let's just do a bit of drawing. You know, what if I draw this thing and like this dragon and it's got like cool wings and all that, and I'll draw that and then I will not think about the things that are stressing me out. I'll just think about the drawing, and it calms me down. So I try I try to find time less than I think of if I have time or not. I just try to find it. Pick you up on your drawing and your interest in drawing. I know when we were doing our uh, one of our social skills groups recently we discussed the concept of drawing or creating characters that were alter egos if you will of um ourselves and represented the things that we struggle with can you tell a little bit a little bit about um your character that 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 you made and and how that alter ego reflected some of your challenges um so yeah we did like this we were going to do this project where it was us like facing off against these evil versions of ourselves that yeah manifested things that we struggle with so mine was based more about anxiety so my character was he looked a little bit similar to me as i did a few years ago when i was younger and you know i was depressed and very anxious so i had he has bags under his eyes um he doesn't have a mouth because back then I would always either put something around my mouth like a mask or something like that, just to cover up. And I feel like him not having a mouth is sort of representing, uh, you know, me always being anxious or too nervous to speak at all. Um, he's quite lanky because, you know, uh, I'm a very tall person. Or at least I, th- I hope I am. Um, 
And in a way, sometimes, honestly, sometimes he's, he's, he's too tall because sometimes I would think that I'm not tall enough, uh, especially in primary school. It's a weird thing to, to say, but in primary school, I wasn't the tallest. And sometimes I wish I was. I, I, I'm happy with where I am in terms of height, honestly. But, um, yeah, that's why I made him very tall. And then I made him able to run very far because I always struggled with running very far distances, especially nowadays. Like I'm not like a marathon runner. Um, but I remember in primary school this one time we did like sports day, we'd have relay races and, uh, I would, I'd never win. Obviously, you know, oh well, but I'd always, I'd always be like, oh, I wish I could win. I'd always have thoughts of me winning. And honestly, I don't care nowadays, but as a kid, I'd, I'd, I'd be obsessed with it. Um... And he's also got four arms, this design. Uh, the reason is to hold you back. So if you like, whatever, think, oh, I'm going to go talk to that girl over there, uh, he'd, this character would come up behind you and he'd hold you back with all four arms. And he'd sort of, he wouldn't be able to speak with his mouth, but he'd sort of speak to you uh, telepathically. I believe mm. that's the word. Um, and he'd sort of make you regret or sort of think about what your your action was and make you yeah sort of regret doing it or regret thinking about it in a way um and it, and it, the way they'd speak to you is sort of like a whisper so he'd be very quiet and if you made him mad he would raise his voice by quite a lot and i think in a way that sort of represented me as a younger kid because i was always quiet but then when i got mad i got really really mad so i, I try not to get mad anymore i know sometimes i get a little bit annoyed with my mum, but lots lots of kids do that. Lots of kids get annoyed with their mum quite easily compared to like with their mates or whatever. I think I think it's just because you know you're able to sort of let yourself go at home. You know you're very relaxed and all that. But out in public, for me at least, I'm sort of a bit more reserved than I am when I'm with like good friends or I'm at home. Self regulation is such a key part to managing behaviours and preventing oneself from getting hijacked by their emotions. Thomas provides some insight into strategies that work for him and how this supports his day. How do you stop yourself from uh, responding in a particular way when the emotions are so strong? Uh, breathing. Uh, I, sl- I try and slow my uh, my breathing down. Uh, I think about, you know, I was like, Thomas, if you get mad, what happens if you do this? And it's like, all right, yeah, that's a good point. I should calm down. Uh, as I said, I'll leave the area. I'll usually try and like uh, sort of put some music on or watch something funny, take my mind off things. And then once I've calmed down, I'll go find the person I got mad at and I and apologise. I'm usually the one to apologise because I'm, I'm a nice person. I like to think of myself as one. You are? How long does that process take? It can take a while. It could sometimes take maybe a few minutes. It could sometimes take, take a few hours. It, it sort of varies. It depends on how mad I get really. Do you find yourself going through that process at home and in the community? Is it still something that happens to this day? It's rare, but it does happen. It's very, very rare to happen in public. It usually just happens at home. Probably because I'm Italian, so I'm loud. Um, (laughs) uh, But yeah, I'd I'd say it happens more at home than it does in the public. I guess because of my anxiety, I'm... I get too nervous to be mad in public because I'm just like, oh, what if all these people look at me? I, obviously, most of the people, they don't care or they don't know enough information to really 
have a say, but I, I usually just try and be more quiet and reserved in public than I am at home. I've got a few extra questions that I like to ask um, guests at the end, just some more fun or playful questions. And one actually ties back to what we were talking about before about the future. If I ask you this, would you rather see the future or go back in time? Probably because I love dinosaurs, I'd go back in time. <laughs> yes, I knew you were going to say that. I was hoping for that and I would absolutely join you on that. Yeah. Plus the future, I like it being a surprise, you know, sort of like a, you know, wait, wait and find out sort of thing. Favorite toy or figurine as a child? And you might still have it now. I don't know. I definitely still have it. <laughs> Fantastic. Um, uh, I still have them now. I, I do want to start selling them, but I have a bunch of Godzilla figures. Godzilla has been a big part of my life as well. My grandfather uh, introduced uh, Godzilla to me. He was talking about, oh, Thomas, uh, there's this film called Godzilla about this big lizard that comes ashore and starts destroying a city and all that. And I was like, I was like, why does, I didn't really care. But he's like, oh, sort of like a big dinosaur. I was like, oh, oh I'm interested now. Um, and then just over time, I just, I love the character. I've, I watched the movies. I got a few figures of my set of him. Um, and yeah, with the, with the favorite toy thing, uh, I would say it's probably a, like a vinyl Godzilla figure. So it's one, it's not very articulated. You can sort of move the arms, move the legs, maybe move the head as well. Uh, one of those would probably have to be one of my favorite figures that I still have as a kid now. Do you have a favorite video game? Ooh, um... As I've got a few, but I'd say my number one favorite video game is Ark Survival Evolved. And then my other favorite game is Minecraft. But I just love how much I can express my creativity. I love, I love how much I can build in that game. And it's also another good thing to play with mods as well. Mm. Do you have a favorite kids TV show? A favorite show that you remember from when you were growing up? Um, Yeah, I'd say so. I don't really watch TV too much anymore. A lot of kids my age don't. But I grew up with Adventure Time. I love that show to death. It's it's still good now. I'd watch it if Binge didn't edit the hell out of it. <laughs> like, they've cut a lot of uh, scenes from it. And I'm just like, oh, why, why did they remove that? It was so funny. It's, it's just a good show in general. One more thing I will ask is just family in general. Um, is it a big part of your life? Is it something that has always been there? You mentioned uh, about your grandfather as well and him introducing you to, to Godzilla. Um, has family always been there and has always been supportive? How, how much of a role has that had in your life? I would say so. My family's always been there for me. Uh, I remember when I was very young, because we were Italian, we are all living together. Um, but over time, you know, my aunt, I had, I, my family mainly consists of, at the moment, uh, two aunties, my grandma, my grandfather, my mother and my cousin, um, who was about two, uh, two or three now. Um, but before he was born, when I was when I was a baby, it was just all, all of us living together. But then over time, it it turned into just me and my mum living together. We lived in a different house. Uh, but my family stayed supportive throughout. At the moment, uh, we're still trying to stay supportive. Uh, but my grandfather is battling cancer. Mm. Um, so you know, my mum, she's she's it's 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 affecting her a lot. So I'm trying to be there for her since she's been there for me my entire life. So it's only fair that I'm there for her every step of the way, mm -hmm. and you know, I'll, I'll I'll never leave her side. Um, someone who obviously has very strong family values, you can and you can hear that just in the way you're 
reflecting. Um, you mentioned, I'd like to think I'm a nice person. And I think anybody that's listening to this today would certainly agree um, that you are more than just a nice person. Uh, you are a, a very humble and very honest and um, true friend to anybody that you're with. So um, from us at OTFC, we just want to say thank you, Thomas, very much for coming in and having a chat today. And um, I hope to spend some more time with you in the future. Well, thanks for having me. It's been a pleasure to be here. Thank you so much for listening and for your continued support. Please subscribe to The Integration Station on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. And feel free to give us a short review if you have 30 seconds. If you have any questions you'd like discussed, Dino and I hope to have a Q&A episode in the future, so please send any questions to The Integration Station email, podcast at otfc.com.au, or via the OTFC website, otfcgroup.com.au forward slash podcasts. And we'll try and answer them on an episode. And as always, shout out to you, Fletch. Until next time, it's goodbye from me. Um, hang on, start again. Thomas, thank you very much for coming in. It's a pleasure to be here, honestly. Thank you for having me. Yep, not a problems. Um, not a problems? It's gonna be, there's going to be a lot of takes here, Tom. There's going to be a lot of... T- I, Tom? I, I, Why I, am I doing calling you Tom now? I want to see I want to see the whole... Fight. I just want to listen to this. Oh, part. gosh. No, you don't. Oh, this year. Um, Thomas, thank you much. Oh, God. Start again.